Well, hello there. This is Brian Melanson, founder and president of M4 Innovation. You've tuned in to this session of the Altitude Sessions podcast, coming to you from our studio in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Really glad you stopped by. What do we do here? Well, we elevate the thinking of healthcare executives all over the country. We want you to stop and think deeply about the industry from time to time. We're very honored to be the voice inside your head for a few minutes. Let's go. All right. Well, here on the uh, episode today, you know, we want to talk a little bit more just about some of the, the magical things that are going on within the uh, the formula community that's coming together here in 2019. We'll kick it off with that. And then, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the things that are continuing to, to ratchet up in the uh, the political sphere, you know, the discussion around Medicare for all and you know, really where all that's going and some of the alternative policy proposals that, that are out there. But, you know, really more specifically, even the something we've called thematically the the weaponization of of healthcare depending on where you sit left or right and, and your viewpoints on what what healthcare is or should be uh, in your mind you know there's just kind of this this it seems like this 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 uh, increasing rep weaponization and with that it's it's starting to create some pretty split policy outcomes that create pretty wide swings for uh, folks that are trying to innovate in the market to have to navigate and We'll work through that a little bit, very specifically around the association health plan market. Uh, it's fresh, top of mind, based on some discussions we've had here locally in our office. We'll talk about here in a little bit. And then, you know, I'd like to, you know, end the session today with just a discussion on curiosity and, you know, how are you as a leader, you know, harnessing your curiosity in, in a time where it seems like a lot of you are really heads down trying to focus and insular focused on, you know, executing on certain things and maybe... You know, going back to item two on the the agenda today, given all the the wishy-washiness stuff that's going on uh, with all the swings and political stuff and court rulings and congressional this and that, the president with new things here and there, new ideas, new surprising out of the box, where did that come from type statements. You know, maybe it is a, a keep your head down and just execute on what you know you're, at least for some of you. I, I don't know. But I think there's also opportunity in times of what seems pretty chaotic. And uh, there's there's probably a strong case for what are you doing to inspire your curiosity to maybe use some of this chaos as an opportunity to to really dig deep and say, gosh, are these the moments now where we might have in all this chaos moments to really re-engineer what this system looks like? And have we have we started through that process? And have you started through that process yourself? So I think those those are pretty good agenda items. You know, just just kicking it off. So we did. Uh, just just uh, the other day here in our office, we hosted a group of folks that came in from all over the country and shared ideas in, in a very intimate environment, a very private environment. Won't get into the outcomes of those discussions, but just on what go-forward strategies and partnerships may look like as we think through alternative solutions for the small group marketplace. And with that, some of those discussions that came up were around association health plans and some of the recent things that have come out with regard to court rulings in DC and other things on on association health plans but you know we'll, we'll get to that in a minute we, and really what's exciting to me about what we built here over the last five years in this formulate community is we've now gotten to the point where we have amongst this group some really deep relationships some really uh, some solid relationships that have built been built among executives that 
that, that may not have competing interests with one another and oftentimes don't that want to come together, attack a common problem together and create a solution that ends up benefiting the market. And I think that's, that's really cool. I mean, that's when we thought through how we wanted to, to really build this community when we got started, you know, this, this was really the intent. I mean, when we first started at M4 Innovation, a lot of our, a lot of our early day meetings were a lot like what just happened this week up in Jackson Hole. They, they were, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine people with, with no competing interest, but all with capabilities and a vested interest in a common problem coming together to say, how can we solve it? How can we leverage the distinct yet different assets that each person brings in this room to come at this problem in, in a different way and to try to bring something to the market that will benefit both our company and the marketplace itself. And it's magical when, when you get a group like that engineered or put together and they're able to spend a day together dedicating the time to, to ask the, the, the what-if questions, to allow, you know, kind of alluding to later in the show, to allow the, the curiosity to run rampant. But then to come back and, and to settle on a series of tactics to say, yeah, these, th there's, there's an opportunity for us to do something. There is a series of assets available in this room that can do something. And these are the things that we will do to accomplish something. But we'll do it together. And as the crux of all the things that we've tried to build with all the varying sizes of engagements and, and groups and ongoing communiques throughout the year and other things with within this community, it does all come down to that. It comes down to creating a trusting private environment where executives can build deep relationships with one another. I'm not talking about just any executives. I'm talking about the types of executives that can make decisions, can fund things, and can actually bring things into the market. And by bringing those people together that have the resources, the passion, that, that are looking toward driving the know-how with their teams to solution these things, by bringing those people together and having these types of conversations, that's what's special about what this community can do. That's what's special about Formulate. That's, that's uh, what we've built. And it's, it's really heartening, and it, it brings back memories to you know five years ago when, when we really got things going and we were just an idea trying to become a business. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a really nice thing to sometimes return back to your roots and have those types of gatherings that, that are small, intimate, that, that drive some actionable things toward the end of the, dis the, the discussion. And so anyway, I just wanted to kick that off. And again, we, the, the best way to get involved and engaged in this community is to start with one of our business groups, if you haven't been part of one yet. And no, we don't advertise and market and, you know, provide lists of, of speakers and all these other things like like a typical conference would that's not the structure of these groups if you want to go sit in a huge conference ballroom and you want to be one of three five seven ten thousand people there are plenty of those opportunities available and they serve a purpose and those are the conference environments if you're seeking that and you're seeking maximum exposure to lots of people, many of whom probably aren't anywhere close to being a decision maker, go do that.
if you want to sit in row 330 in some huge room separated by 330 rows between you and some featured dignitary oftentimes paid for speaker on, on a front stage then do that and listen as they make their big big announcement for a PR splash or for some journalistic value that enters the market to say, hey, here's what our company's going to be doing. Those things have value. And I'm not saying they don't, but it's not what we do. And from a, you know, from a formulate perspective, we would prefer to have those key C-level decision makers that often sit on those stages in our room in an intimate group, you know, always less than 100 people. And, and we'd rather have that that person actually interacting over a course of a day or two with people in the room to go beyond the 40, 50, 67,000 foot platitudes and to really talk about where the industry's going, what it's going to take to get there, the type of investments it's going to take to get there, the type of partnerships it's going to take to get there, and then to be able to, to work amongst folks in a room to start the solution toward those things. That goes well beyond prepared talking points and those type of things. This, this is, you know, we have environments. Our environments don't allow PowerPoints. Our, our environments, you know, don't usually allow prepared. Actually, they don't allow prepared statements. Our, our environment is always closed. It's, you know, protected by, you know, disclosure statements and other things. It, it is the type of place where people that want to impact the industry and want to do it in a way with a very broad, thinking set of, of, of executives that all have a tether or tie in healthcare in one way, shape, form, or another to come together and actually attack problems from a wide variety of perspectives. That's what we do. And there, there is a, there's a magic to it. It uh, has created some pretty interesting and compelling and previously unforeseen type of partnerships over, over the years since we've been doing it. And, you know, we're, I'm just, just fired up for what, what we saw go on yesterday. And again, given the private nature of the Formulate community, I can't get into all the things that were discussed there, but gosh, it was, it was good. It was really good and just exciting to be a part of it. And, uh, and in a lot of ways, just, just, just kind of lifts me up. I think the people that are part of the group felt that way too. And, you know, it's got me pretty fired up heading into some of the things that we're going to be talking about in Atlanta as part of the formulate product and distribution discussions that are coming up July 15 to 17. If you haven't signed up or if you haven't inquired about being part of that group, do it. Man, let's do it. We're, we're uh, getting close to having that thing filled up, so we've just got a handful of seats left, but come be part of that. Uh, you know, we'd love to have you, and particularly if you're, you're new and you've been listening to this podcast and you're trying to figure out ways to engage at the next level, that's a good next step. And, you know, as you look down the line even further, we've got a really, really great, uh, which is becoming a, a pretty a pretty special group that's coming up here in Jackson Hole in October, and that's October 14 to 16. That one is is more about talking about the, the policy, the commercial ideas, the innovation points of interest that will take this industry forward five years. You know, we don't do conference-like stuff here. I mean, our, our format inside these groups are, it's, it's research-oriented. There are thought papers that are, that are researched and created that are 
distributed to the folks that participate. So there's a research and strategy component to these things. There is a thought leader Q&A component, but again, no, no PowerPoint, no prepared statements, you know, really Q&A on a particular theme. And we attack these, these themes, and then we debate the themes amongst all the folks are in the room, and then we take it from there, you know, final step forward, and we then try to create the actionable outputs and items that can be built or collated or pulled together amongst all the the creative and differing uh, executives and the assets that they bring uh, to, to go actually and go out in the market and actually solution these things. That's formulate. Formulate is different. It's not your typical get together in a room and conference it out type thing and you know we're working like heck every every year to continue to find ways to further make a separation between the things that have value but are typically bigger and have exhibit halls and sponsors and all those things let that be one option for exposure and PR and other things let what we do at formulate be the place where you actually build deep relationships you become part of an established and deeply connected community of executive decision makers. And you become part of a group that is looking to work together in this private environment and actually solution things that will move the market, not only forward, but maybe in a different direction. And that's, that's what we're all about. Let's talk a little bit now about, you know, what's going on in in, in healthcare with regard to this Medicare for all stuff. And, you know, the, all, all the, all the announced democratic presidential contenders in the primary are to once one extent or another, they're on a Medicare for all kick. They're talking about it. You know, the, the, the more extreme stuff is the elimination of any, commercial component to healthcare going forward and it's fully government controlled. And, you know, that's that's kind of the starting point to to satisfy the the extreme left. I, I think what's what's interesting with with what we're starting to see there is that may be plan A, but it's certainly not the only plan. There's there's plan B, which is something that still keeps or a portion of the commercial insurance market and apparatuses in place. And it doesn't run into some of the, you know, budget office financing issues that will probably come out with CBO scoring and other things on the Medicare for All play. It, it, it works still in the tiered, multi-structured, segmented insurance marketplace that we have today. You know, in, in that concept, they call Medicare for America. And it's it's been introduced uh, in the past by Reps DeLauro and Schakowsky in the, in the House. It, it is an idea that's been talked about inside the D.C. Beltway for a long time. But it, it's, it's the dropping of the Medicare age where you can buy into Medicare from, you know, 65 to 55. It's also the opportunity to create what was debated pretty heavily when the Affordable Care Act was going through all the machinations of politics before it settled where it settled. It also gives the option of a, of a buy-in to what would essentially be a public option. 
and there would just be this baseline public option plan that would exist that would in effect be kind of the bar for which everything else would have to compete and justify why whatever the other things competing are are more expensive or better or less expensive and more efficient or whatever those things may be. That plan B is, I believe, what you'll see most of the Democratic front runners as this thing kind of coalesces as we get closer and closer to the primary. They're probably going to have to to make that argument because that, and, and they're probably that's probably the argument that will start to to elevate or gain elevation over the more extreme Medicare for all play. It would satisfy a larger number of people, you know, because from polling over and over and over again, Medicare for all is a concept, universal concept, polls pretty well. When people realize that it may involve them losing their employer-sponsored coverage, the coverage they have now, it starts to drop. Uh, when they realize their taxes may go up, it starts to drop even more. And those are, uh, this is kind of a uniquely American middle-of-the-road type play that still moves us another step in direction in the direction of universal coverage, but not fully there. And you may say this is an incrementalism thing that over time will just will just you know will just continue to grow the Medicare pie at the top end, the the uh, aging part of our society will continue to grow the Medicare part at the lower income part of society. And as those those balloons get bigger and bigger and bigger, they'll just press and press and press on the commercial market until it pops. And that, that may happen. Uh, but it, it's, it's an incremental step that may be politically more palatable. It may be more palatable from a budget perspective and other things. And that's, that's you know, just interesting. But more important, you know, that, that's one thing. But more important than that, or at least here in the short term, and it was part of the conversations that we've had here in, in Jackson Hole with a with small group that came up, we are still very much in this this period of incredible weaponization of healthcare, and I, I don't I don't blame any any innovator in this space right now or any executive in this space right now that doesn't want to throw their hands up because it feels like, or you just want to keep your head down because it feels like the game and years worth of work can be erased overnight by some court ruling or by some new political impasse or by a, uh, a more a seemingly impulsive president that will jump all over certain talking points. And, you know, it creates this, this volatility in a segment that hates volatility. So, you know, I think that, you know, it's very weaponized. Left has its view of universal health care, right has its view of keep your hands off of my, off of that, that's, you know, my health care as it exists today. And, you know, while both sides are playing this game of tug of war from the left and the right, you know, all of us kind of caught up in between, I think we're getting dizzy. Hanging on to this rope and being tugged back and forth. And there's not a, a more acute example of that right now than what's going on in, you know, the, uh, short-term limited duration health plans in the individual market. I won't talk about that today. But I want to talk about what's going on in the association health plan market. Pretty acute there. There's a lot going on there. And 
you know, if, if you've been following along, there's, there is this recent uh, district court ruling out of Washington, D.C. That, that basically came out and the judge invalidated uh, the key components of what the final rules were from the Department of Labor that really created this expansionary opportunity for association health plans that uh, was called inside the DC Beltway really pathway two. It created this new pathway that would in many ways allow, or actually did, actually allows for association health plans to be built around a commonality of interest test in regional areas that are tied together by some some geographic, uh, they're tied together by geography. And y you know the, you know the whole thing there with with what the district court came back with, they just said that you know it it's effectively skirts the intent of the Affordable Care Act and what lawmakers were trying to design to protect and preserve the interest of the small group market. And by doing so, in effect, it invalidated the ability for these these pathway to association health plans to uh, drive up organizations and plans that could potentially benefit sole proprietors and could benefit people that live in a geographic area that were bound together by geography, a town, or uh, a, a cluster of towns that are in, in a particular geography that, that work together uh, in, in basically the folks commute back and forth. It has a has a, a commonality of interest because of how the geography works. And you know, I, I got to tell you, it, it, it flies in the face of a lot of the, the, the progress recently that's been made in association health plans. I mean, the, uh, of all the new association health plans that have been launched, and this is from associationhealthplans.com. This is Kev Coleman, who is who tracks this and does a really nice job of tracking this. 71% of all new association health plans were regionally based, they're regional associations. You know, four out of five were still, that they were through a third-party insurance company as opposed to being self-funded, so they were comprehensive plans. The, uh, you know, I think also four out of five, when you look at it, four out of five regional associations were sponsored by chambers of commerce, so these, these pathway two type plans based on a commonality in a geography. What I find interesting about that is there's really a lot of creativity and innovation that could, could have been pulled through with these revised Department of Labor guidelines. And, you know, there are, there are on the other side, there are these other uh, opinions that say that, gosh, these association health plans are going to do nothing but destroy the established small group pool they're, they're going to the younger healthier folks are going to migrate away from the pool with older and sicker folks in it and it's going to create a death spiral and the the small group pools that exist today as built under the affordable care act will deteriorate and at some point get in a death spiral and shrink and, and potentially implode that's the argument and you know there's there's a lot of work that's you know that's been done you know the the congressional Budget Office looked at that and said, no, that's probably not really going to happen. You know, if anything, there's, there is a, a, a net increase in the small group market of upwards of 400,000 people. Um, the 
overall rate basis in the small group market would probably go down. So there's there's all these these arguments that have been made, you know, both for and against. But it just to me, it's is we're hanging on to this rope. It's tug of war, and the, you know, there's this weaponization left and right, and they're both tugging. See who can out tug each other the hardest to move move the center of the country more, you know, left or right in these policy persuasions and or these you know, in some ways you can say these policy mandates or these mandates that come back from the court and invalidate rules that are dictating policy. So I think that's that's interesting, you know. But what it doesn't what it doesn't talk about is that the small group market right now is in it, it's seeing such an affordability issue that you know if you go look at like Mark Ferris stats and others, you know, between 2013 and 17, there was a 30 percent drop in comprehensive fully insured small group membership. So, you know, if you look at the big five insurance companies, United Healthcare, the Healthcare Service Corporation, Anthem, Humana, Aetna. Within those five alone, that accounted to 1.5 million members that left comprehensive small group coverage. Where did they go? Well, they either dropped coverage or, more likely, they went to a small group self-funding solution. So the market recaptured them in a different way that you could argue also skirts the Affordable Care Act's intentions for creating a stable small group pool. So let's just cut the bullshit. The small group pool is... It's, it's in decline. It's already in a market where people are seeking alternative options to help with the affordability issue that it's acute, that's causing continued pressure on small business owners. And because of the, the demands of small business owners to figure something out, it's, it's creating this desire for new solutions in the market that need to be put in play. And whether those are small groups of funding or whether it's association health plans or whether it's not even a comprehensive coverage policy anymore because of where the dollars and cents need to be for people to still be able to offer something, employers to still be able to offer something, the market's already moving toward some degree of innovation. And absent some major policy shift that says, you know what, we're just going to change the tax structure, we're going to universally cover everybody, it's going to need this kind of innovation. So I, I hope that we, you know, from, from our policy end and others, and I know Senator Enzi here in Wyoming just, just – uh, put out some uh, proposed legislation that would preserve and protect the Department of Labor's guidelines. I hope we have that debate again, and it's pretty open, and that we're, we're willing to reconsider. Uh, in, in Congress, we're willing to reconsider from a lawmaker perspective that we, we do want that kind of innovation in the market, because absent that, you know, those that just want to preserve and protect these community pools you're preserving and protecting something that's just going to continue to dwindle and uh, work away, and it's already being innovated against anyway because it's reaching the the crux of being completely unaffordable, at least for most. So I think that there's some things that could be continue to be said about that, but you know we we did have a group here, like I said, that talked through pathway one, pathway two, options. Pathway one's what's been around for quite a while, where you can. You know, if you're a bona fide association, meaning you're doing work that extends beyond just coming together for the coverage of insurance, it's you know, it's a, you know, it's a realtor association, it's those type of things. If you're bona fide, you've been able to do an association health plan structure for a long, long time, you know, 20, 30 years. So the the uh, pathway one is still there, and there's still a lot of things that can be built and discussed, and and we're probably right now the safer route to go. Pathway 2 opened up a lot of 
unique opportunity even for for us you know to consider how to use a pathway to option to in effect you could create your own community-based plan doing that that could become the baseline for your community working with a major hospital partner you could come up with those things leveraging the capabilities that were afforded to you because of the commonality of interest test that that was a little bit more open to where you could you could focus on your community you could focus on solutions for your community and I've said this before I'm actually a really big believer in moving toward community-based health solutions I think that's the, that's the answer to a lot of this stuff and be happy to debate that with anybody I I think it's it's the nice move it's it's not an employer-based system. It's, it's not based on where you work anymore. It's where you live. It's a zip code for where you live. And when you have to get everybody in your community rowing in the same direction, which is very difficult to do, but if you, when you do it, then you start to make uh, budgets and prioritizations and you build things specific to the needs of where you live. And where I live and where you live listening to this, our needs are probably, we have some common needs, I'm sure that we could say are the same no matter where we live, but there's, there's, there are things that are different that would be, need to be different. And that's what, you know, I think we, we tend to overlook in our strategies and because of the fragmentation of the, of the healthcare system and other things today, we, we tend to, we tend to not want to, you know, we just don't think that way right now. And this whole, let's just preserve what we have. Preserving what we have is not what the voting populace and the populism around healthcare is going to want. They're already saying, you look at polls, they're saying just kind of tinkering with the Affordable Care Act probably isn't enough at this stage. It's got to be something bigger and bolder. So that's what this whole, you know, Medicare for America plan B type thing is that, that you know, will probably continue to surface and bubble up as we get closer and closer to the Democratic primary. So, you know, I think that's that's a worthy thing to continue to debate. So, uh, you know, the last, last thing I want to talk about, I'm going to talk a little bit about creativity. I'm going to talk about curi curiosity more than creativity. And, you know, very simply, when you're in an environment where you're inwardly focused and all you're trying to do is execute on results, sometimes that heightened execution focus can actually create worse results than if you had an environment that inspired people to learn more, inspired people to dream more, inspired people to be curious more. And, you know, there's there's a you know, recent Harvard Business Review article. It's uh, the business case for curiosity. It uh, just came out in September, October of 2018. And there's some good stuff in here. I mean, the the thing that it was a good example of Organizations, when things get tight and they want to concentrate on results, especially, again, when you're facing tough challenges, just summarizing some of this, it just says that, you know, the, the focus on learning in those cases generally more beneficial. But, you know, there was an example given where U.S. Air Force personnel were demanding a goal for the number of planes that had to be landed in the set time frame. And when that, that was mandated, what they found over time is that performance actually decreased. Same thing that happened with sales professionals that were told to focus on performance goals and performance goals only, and they had to meet target. They were asked, you know, you know, how are you doing, and those type of things. They they did worse during a promotion of the product than organizations that didn't take that approach. And you know, to 
try to put a, just a, a quick point on this to wrap things up today. If you're if you're so maniacally focused on results that you are no longer allowing yourself to get out, slow down, think differently, be curious. You're not preparing yourself. You're not preparing yourself for when things go off the rails, when when something shifts, when a competitive thing happens that you didn't anticipate, because you don't have the network. You haven't had exposure to different ideas that may inspire you to to solve the, the solution or solve the dilemma that just got presented in front of you. You may not have the ability to manage uh, a new team member that exhibits behaviors that you've never seen before. There is a value in building a network. There's a value in sharing ideas. There is a value in being curious and allowing yourself to be curious. It's no secret that's why sometimes the greatest ideas you have come to you when you're in places like the shower. Because there are moments where we as, as, as human beings need to be curious, we want to be curious, and we only advance the causes that we're passionate about. We only advance our industry because we were curious. You know, curiosity is, you know, what led to the Falcon Heavy, being able to land reusable rockets on Earth. Why can't we do that? Why shouldn't we do that? Who says we can't do that? We can, and they prove that you can, and you should, and we will. Be curious. Stay engaged. Be part of a community network. Be creative. Because the industry will benefit from it, and in your world, you'll benefit from it. Your career will benefit from it. Thanks for listening today. We look forward to continuing the dialogue here in a couple weeks. Until then, this is Brian Melanson. Appreciate you listening to the Altitude Sessions podcast.